Well, you can grab your Bibles and uh, you can join me. We're going to be reading one brief verse from Proverbs 29. <clears throat> we'll get there in just a moment. So good to worship with y'all and so good to be forgiven. Amen? Man, I hope we never get used to it. God continues to wow our hearts with his undeserved love. Proverbs 29, 25. Let me just read this brief verse. It says this. It says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. One very brief sentence for us this morning. Uh, I love music. Um, and some of you know, many of you probably don't, I also love to dance. Uh, countless dance parties in our living room attest to the fact that I love to dance. Um, little known fact. When you're driving in your car, if you're one of those people who maybe the only place that you actually dance is in your car, um, you probably had the experience of like you're singing like your heart out, like favorite songs on, like it's just one of those days you're just not only singing, but you're as much as you can in a seated position, you are dancing. Then all of a sudden, somebody you don't know pulls alongside you. And what happens? Party stops. No mas. Like as you like you don't wanna like you don't want to be seen dancing. I mean it's one thing to dance and enjoy it, but certainly you don't want to be you don't want to be seen dancing. Why? Well, the question is, like, well, what, like, what, what are they going to think of me? At its essence, that's, in all its different versions, that's what, the, that's what our problem is. Our question becomes, well, what are they going to think of me? What will others think? If we can be honest just for a moment about just even coming in here and singing, I would guess... All of us have had the experience of wanting to sing louder and more joyfully than we actually do. And a lot of times we don't because there's someone right next to us. Because, I mean, also, what, what are people going to think if I really am as joyful as I feel, if I'm as exuberant as I want to be? Like, what are, will other people approve? Like, will they think I'm just a weirdo if I really engage in that way. So this doesn't stop in elementary school, on the playground with your junior high friends. But the questions of will they like me? Will they think I'm silly? Will they make fun of me? Will they like what I'm wearing? Will they agree with me? Will they reject me if I speak the truth? And that question of will they approve of me morphs into Something like this. What can I do to make sure that they approve of me? The, the feeling of like, what, like, will they approve me moves into a place where our actions begin to cater to what we think is a creation of that security we so long for in the presence of other people. What can I do to make sure that they approve of me? The fear of man caused Abram to lie way back in Genesis 12 and put his wife in danger, telling her to lie and say that she was instead his sister. 
The fear of man caused Peter to deny that he even knew Jesus three times in the presence of a servant girl and others. The fear of man caused Pilate to find fault in Jesus even when he saw none. What's really interesting about that story in the book of Luke, Luke 23, 23, it says in this this rhythm of Pilate, it's like, I don't see anything wrong in him. I don't see any fault in him. And everybody's crucify, crucify, crucify. At the end, it says this, and the voices of the people prevailed. I wonder how often in our lives the voices of other people prevail, causing us to do the things that we know we shouldn't do, causing us to not do the things that we know we should do, causing us to clamor for the approval of other people. Family, every single one of us struggles with this in various forms and degrees because we all want to be accepted by people. We all want to be approved by other people. We all want to be loved, even by our closest relationships. We want to have the subjective sense of being approved by other people. That's not all together wrong, but so often it does turn into what is known as the fear of man. To borrow from Ed Welch's book title, way too often people are big and God is small. I encourage you with that book if you want to read more on this topic. When people are big and God is small, his whole book is dedicated to unpacking peer pressure and codependency and all things that kind of are different names for the fear of man. But we all fear man, and by man I mean men, women, and children. He says this early on in his book, the fear of man can be summarized this way. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of God, we fear others. And our lives all too often are characterized by a quest to find security and stability in other people. And this affects our relationship with God. And it certainly has potentially disastrous effects on our relationships with other people. Because if you're looking to someone else to occupy the place that God is meant to occupy, then that person, you could say, is occupying the place of God. So we make idols out of people. Like we put in God's place other people, and they become to us that thing, that place where we find stability and identity and affirmation and ultimately even value. And we all struggle in this space. But this proverb, in real brief order, says the fear of man lays a snare. So I want to talk about this text just kind of structurally for a little bit. And then I want to make some observations about just how does this impact relationships? Where's the application in our relationships? This series that we're in right now is called Kingdom Relationships. The notion is this. Kingdom people are those who are under the rule and the reign of God as their king, subject to his good and gracious, powerful rule. And there's a way in which that power displayed in individual people affects our relationships. It affects everything about us. It certainly should impact the way we relate to to one another. And so today we're going to look at the way in which the fear of man really does lay a snare to us being kingdom people in the context of our relationships. But the fear of man grabs you as it relates to being a snare or a trap. The fear of man grabs you, holds you, and controls you. This word snare is used in Job 40, 24. It says the fear of man is like a ring through the nose of a beast. That's the reference in Job 40, 24. 
like a ring through the nose of a beast, the fear of man will easily control you. The fear of man makes an idol out of the approval of others, and it doesn't stop in grade school. It continues to the boardroom. It affects employees and employers. It affects men and women alike. It can be a controlling influence with complete strangers and a deep influence in your closest relationships. It's broad and deep in its impact, like in our relationships. Fearing man means the prospect of what others think about you and their potential negative reactions. The desire for positive reactions causes you and I to tremble. The fear of man makes us anxious, even overwhelmed by what others may think, say, or do. And the Bible has a lot to say about fear, particularly fearing God, revering, honoring, loving, knowing God. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And we could understand it this way, the starting block of wisdom is the fear of God. But the gateway for folly is the fear of man. The starting block for true biblical wisdom is a fear of God. But if you start in the other place, in a fear of man, it's only a gateway to folly and foolishness and ultimate disaster. Although there's a lot more that could be said about fearing God, for the sake of our time together this morning, it may be helpful to use Ed Welch's book title and just kind of flip it on its end. The fear of God is when God is big and people are small. Not that people are unimportant. I don't want to take a whole lot of time trying to unpack that. People made in God's image. It's not that relationships don't matter. We're doing a whole series on relationships because they do matter. But a fear of God means that he's big and other people in reference to him and his supremeness are small. Fearing God is to listen to his voice over any other voice. Fearing God is to be motivated by what God thinks about me and not by what others think. Fearing God is to find superior satisfaction in being accepted by him so I don't have to clamor for the approval of other people. If I'm fearing man, I have inevitably stopped fearing God because fearing man has an inverse relationship to fearing God. So you can think of it a little bit like a teeter-totter, someone once said, fearing man and fearing God sit opposite one another on the teeter-totter of life, and as one goes up, the other goes down. So where, you're, where I'm fearing man, it can't be equal in its place with a fear of God. As one goes up, the other one will go down. So the movement to the fear of God will put our relationships with men, women, and children in their rightful place. When we think about this term trap, it's a really interesting word. The fear of man lays a snare. Like any, I mean, I'm not a trapper by trade, but I'm going to make this assumption. Like any trap doesn't inherently look dangerous. Like a good trap is going to lure you in with the promise of something good. Whether it's cheese and a mouse trap, some live trap for a big animal, that promises some meal on the inside, traps inevitably don't look dangerous or completely hidden in their danger, either entirely con concealed or hold within some thing that's desirable. In a word, they look safe 
ultimately, like the best trap is going to look safe to enter into until it grabs you and holds on to you. And the sad irony of fearing man is this, like it causes us to lose the very thing that we desperately long for, and that's safety. Like we long to, we long to feel safe. We long to be needed by other people because in that we feel a sense of stability and security. Like we want to feel safe. And the irony in this passage, these two parts kind of juxtaposed against each other, is that basically when you fear man, you lose your safety. It's only the one who trusts in the Lord who finds the very safety they find so elusive. And the fear of man is like a trap that promises life and security but never delivers. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is the alternative side of this equation. The snare of fearing man can be exchanged for safety when we trust in the Lord. So the word trust here is used in other places, Proverbs eleven fifteen. 15. Uh, it's used and translated the word secure, Proverbs 28, 1, the word bold. So you could say this way, maybe the security we find is so elusive when we fear man is abundantly provided when we trust God. And this is the reason, is that we Trust God, and it provides us bold security in him, and that ultimately is what makes us safe. So we long for the approval of other people, and in that we feel like there's safety. But ultimately it's a trap that leads us to destruction in various ways. It's only fearing God, trusting in him, that gives us the ultimate safety that we actually long for. And we look to the Lord, to Jehovah, the supreme God of all creation, as kingdom people, we are secure because our king is supreme. He's hallowed, right? We looked at Matthew chapter 6. Hallowed be your name. Your name is sacred and supreme and mighty. And when my trust is in you, I am safe. Our God is a strong tower. He's a refuge to run into, right? All those words that many of you know or are familiar with from the Psalms, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous man runs into it and is safe. And some of you this morning, like I, my guess is, just to offer conjecture for conjecture's sake, but some of you need the safety that God provides. And you need to be convinced this morning that it comes from him and from nowhere else. Because it's caused you to, to run in other places to find it where it can never be found. And it's caused you to look in your relationships for something those relationships can never provide. But it's only the man or woman who runs into the name of the Lord, the strong tower. It's only that one who finds safety. When we look at who the Lord is, we see he is supreme. When we look to where the Lord is, we see he's in the heavens, seated as king. So as we trust in this high king, if you can imagine, just kind of envision yourself looking upward to a God who's supreme in the heavens, our eyes look up, like they're drawn upward, notably above the things of the world. The things that are below him don't captivate us when we're looking up to him. And as some of the picture given in this positive picture that the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. <laughs> Job 5.11, 
God sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Same kind of picture. Psalm 69, 29 says, but I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. So a lot of us have had the experience when we were little of like hiding from our friends. You've seen your kids do this. And if they get to a high place on a playground or something like that, they'll look down at their friends with this sense of like satisfaction, like you can't get me. That's a little bit like what this picture is. Like you're way too high and their friends are like, I can't, I can't get up there. And that's what this is depicting. Like God in his highness, if you look to him, you look down at the the trap of the fear of man, and you can say, you can't get me up here. My God's too high to be entangled in the trap of the fear of man. That's what this is saying. Those who trust in the Lord find safety in his highness over all the low factors of the world that entangle our feet. Do we trust in him? Or do we instead trust in the opinions or approval of other people and get instead the associated fear that they bring. But our bold security in God lifts us so high that our eyes, our minds, and our cares are too high to be captured by the ground-level snare of fearing man. I've encountered a couple people in life that I don't even know if they're believers, but from observation, I admire. One of them was a woman, we lived in Loveland, Colorado, and there was a lake on the way to our house, our neighborhood. And this lake had this massive walkway, probably a couple miles around. But every single day, she would, she didn't walk. She had her headphones on, and she would dance, dance, dance. Like just in broad daylight, didn't matter. I mean, right next to the road. I mean, hundreds upon hundreds of people, thousands maybe, driving right by her. And she's just, she's not a, she knows what she's doing. She just wants to dance so much, she doesn't even care what people think. And I'm like, you know what? Props to you. I don't know whether you fear God, but you certainly don't fear man. You wouldn't be dancing like that. <laughs> but there's something admirable in being free from the trap of like, let me just dance around in life trying to accommodate the opinions of other people. I'm not telling you to be indifferent to how you sound or what you say Give me some grace in that. But to be entrapped by everything that we do, trying to accommodate the faux safety of the approval of other people is not the way God has called us to live. He's given us too much freedom for that. Be captivated by his highness so that all the things in the low territory of this world and all the things that want to ensnare us just don't have a chance to get to us. We are safe because our steps are exalted. They're lifted high, inaccessibly high for capture. That's the picture given in this passage. Because after all, what can man do to us when we trust in God? That's the words of the psalmist, right? Psalm 56, 10 through 11, and in Psalm 118, 5 through 6. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Verse 10. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
kingdom person, having been given a vision in the scriptures of the God that they serve and know is so captivated by, so secure in his work and that relationship firstly that every other relationship falls in its due place. Do you trust the Lord? Or do you find yourself captivated by the tyranny of and the quest for safety in places where it ultimately and finally and fully can be found? Trust in the Lord today. If you're a believer in this room, like renew your trust in him this morning. Find him to be everything that you long for and need once again. Let me take the last handful of minutes I have to give some relational kind of application here. Let me put some feet to this in the context of our relationships and some of the ground we've already covered with forgiveness and conflict resolution. But church family, here's what I'd say. The most significant thing we can do to strengthen our relationships with others is to trust God, to fear him, to seek him, to love him, and to live in light of his love for us. You want your relationships to be strengthened? Trust God. Seek God. Know God. Live in light of his grace. Live in light of his love for you. Be defined by how he thinks and feels and defines you and who you are. And then allow that to be the platform for your other relationships. Trust God. And as we think about this, as God is big and people are small, relatively speaking, his will and his kingdom, our aim, what happens is it empowers us to have difficult but necessary conversations. This is one of the practical spaces where this takes root. So we're trusting God and not putting all, of, all our desired safety in other people. It frees us up. It empowers us to have difficult but necessary conversations. Let me, let me feather this out just a little bit. It allows us to enter into conflict resolution and address sin. It allows us to encourage one another in areas where there's growth needed. And let's just be honest, this happens in a family. This happens in a church family. We're walking, doing life with one another. By God's grace, we know there's someone in this room that knows you well enough, that knows where you need to grow. And there's two options in that moment where they see something in your life just as you, as, as they might see something in yours. There's two options. You either speak or you don't speak. And the, and the, the thing that's going to drive probably your answer, your response in that moment is whether or not you fear man more than you fear God. Because if there's an issue, a scriptural issue, a character thing where someone's life, my life isn't aligned with the word of God, Chris is commended as my brother to come to me by grace. We've already talked about this, like looking to himself first with a heart of restoration to come to me. And based on the appeal from the word of God to say, this is what I see. I don't see this aligned from God's word in your life and something's got to change. If he doesn't do that, we all lose. Like our relationship is isn't healthy, I lose because I'm not growing. The testimony of Jesus in my life and in our family is affected. This becomes a really big deal. All couched in what we talked about last week. This isn't just like being the sin police in each other's lives. By the grace of God, we have to speak to one another graciously and in love and with a heart 
desiring restoration. And fearing man robs us of meaningful, spiritually beneficial relationships within the church. Fearing man will prevent us from obeying God's word and moving toward others. Whether it's encouraging one another in parenting, an area where we're really prone to pride. Am I willing to listen to someone else who's further down the road or even in the same place because they want to encourage me in some way that might be a little bit off? Or maybe you hear a brother talking about how he's working 75 hours a week. He doesn't seem to be bothered by the fact he doesn't spend any time with his family. Should you speak or not? Well, if you fear him and you want his approval more than, than you want approval from God, then we all lose. He loses. His family loses. The testimony of the gospel in his life is diminished. And our relationship is affected negatively this is so practical, but it's so deep for all of us because we just, we want people to like us. Like we don't want to cause waves. Like we don't have difficult conversations, but the gospel empowers us to have difficult conversations that are necessary for the sake of Christ. So when God is big, it empowers us to have difficult but necessary conversations. Another thing that allows us to be vulnerable about our weaknesses and failures we talked a little bit about this last week, that being vulnerable like increases trust and approachability in relationships. But the fear of man will rob you of the fruit that comes from vulnerability. Why? Because you and I don't want to be seen as weak. We do not want our frailty to be visible. We'd much rather have everybody believe, even if it's just a veneer, that we're all put together and we're doing just fine. And that is a hellish nightmare to live in when you're broken. Because healing comes from the moments of exposure in the gospel. This wonderful but painful reality is like the moments where we get exposed in Christ by his grace through his, his word in our weakness are the very same moments that we find healing. That's, that should be the experience of the believer. Like when I come to my brother, he comes to me and I'm exposed in a part of my life that's not aligned with the word of God. When I'm exposed, if I fight against that, then I've, then I've robbed myself of the healing that comes. But if, I, if God is big to me and relationships aren't an idol and the approval of others isn't an idol, then healing and joy in life can come. Fearing man aims for approval and acceptance so it will view vulnerability as risky. Maybe we could say it this way. There are times where the cost to obey God is too great in our eyes because that person is too great in our eyes. We would much rather have their approval than obey God. Let's just call it what it is. That's our struggle. Like we'd much rather have the approval of this person than to do something difficult to obey God. I'm not preaching from the mountain. I struggle with this. I struggle with this when I get up to preach. There's a unique challenge in being having a public ministry. Because I'd much rather you think that I'm a polished preacher, that I have my life together in all corners, and that I'm not broken in any way, than in any way let you into my, like my, my broken places. I'd rather you see me as a competent preacher, and I have to die to that. And being vulnerable creates 
health and trust and approachability, but kingdom people confess sin to one another and admit weaknesses because we recognize the grace of God is what we have in Christ and what we need from one another. James 5, in the context of if you're sick or if you have sin, the call is confess to one another. The one another being the body of Christ. Confess. Talk about it. Be open about it. Confess to one another and pray for one another that there might be healing and forgiveness. That's the call for the body of Christ. When God is big, it allows us to be vulnerable about our weaknesses and failures. When God is big, it liberates us from the treadmill of performance for approval. Ed Welch uses this term. It's kind of weird, but it illustrates the point. He says we're a little bit like love tanks with a leak. We're constantly journeying around like love tanks just looking for somebody to fill us with love and approval. The challenge is when you're looking for everybody to fill you, you're like a love tank with a leak. It's just going to drain out the other side. Because ultimately, those people weren't designed to fill you the way that you're trying to convince them to fill you. They're never meant to occupy the space of God. I don't need to go through life like a walking love tank looking for others to love me, approve of me, and depend on them to fill me up in only a way that God can. I'm perfectly loved by Christ, so I'm secure. I'm safe in him and with him. When God is big, it liberates us from the treadmill of performance for the approval of other people. When God is big, it motivates us to use our gifts and talents. I got some feedback from some in the body just about this topic. And one of the things shared is that the fear of man will cause us to hoard our talents. And I love this. I didn't think about this dynamic. It's like you might have a gift that God is calling you to use, but you don't use it because you're worried about how it'll be received by other people. That's just another shade of the fear of man. There's good things that God has for his people and for other people through you. And the fear of man can keep you from using the very gifts that God has given you for him to be glorified and you to be usable in his hands. You lose in that. You're robbed of the joy of being used by God and everybody else is robbed because they don't get the benefit of your gifts. Designed as a deposit of grace in your life to build up the people of Christ and to make an impact in the world. When God is big, it motivates us to use our gifts and our talents. Last thing I'll share before I close is this. When God is big, it enables us to be approachable and humble. And there's some of us that need to be mindful of how our approach to other people can cultivate a fear of us. Like the way in which we relate to people can cultivate a lack of approachability for other people to come to us. And there's a way in which, like, you can, in your own fear of man, create a shield to keep people from getting to you. But when God is big, you don't have to do that. You can trust him. Like, he's the one that's your safety, not your veneer. Like, the fear of man can make us unapproachable, deceptive because it masquerades as maturity, but it's actually just a veneer of insecurity. Am I approachable? Like, am I humble? Am I vulnerable? Am I patient? Do I listen well? Are the fruits of the Spirit at work in my life in a way that dissuades a fear of me and causes people to feel free to come to me? I would say particularly if you're in a leadership position, whether in your home, ministry, in the workplace, is the Spirit of God alive in you in such a way that there's this approachability you possess because of Christ within you. 
Let me just share two brief thoughts as I close off. It's just last encouragement. There's a way in which, as we think about our commission as believers, commission being like every single one of us is called to make Jesus known in our world. And one of the, the dreadful realities of a fear of man is that it halts evangelism. It keeps us from speaking about Jesus. The fear of man has been a trap to me because it's caused me to not speak about Jesus when I had the opportunity to. The fear of man can be, maybe has been a trap to you because God has given you opportunity to speak about the love of Christ, his work in your life, to invite people to find hope in him, but because you and I desire the approval of other people, we haven't spoken the way that God has given us opportunity to. And it affects evangelism. It affects God's purpose in us to make him known in this world. And the fear of man can be a trap in that way. The fear of man robs us of being used to see people come to know Jesus. And maybe for some of you this morning, I'm not going to pretend to know your hearts. I just kind of base it off statistics that over the course of these two services, it's likely that there's some in here that don't know Jesus that aren't Christians this morning. One of the things that you see that the fear of man can do through the New Testament is it can keep people from confessing Jesus as Lord even though that they believe that he is. And a really powerful picture of this is found in John chapter 12 where there's some rulers who, given Jesus' miracles and all the things he was teaching, believed that he is who he said he was, but... They had a superior fear of people. They had a supreme love for the approval of others that kept them from confessing that they believed in Jesus. And here's what it said. Verse 42 and 43 in John chapter 12, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. These are my last two thoughts for you. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, don't be robbed of a greater glory that's found in knowing Jesus because you're holding on to glory from this life, from this world, from the people in it. Confess him as Lord and find him to be the satisfaction of your soul that you so long for. And if you're a Christian in this room, you're part of our church family, don't let a fear of man rob you of fruit in your relationships and fruit in this world to make Jesus known. But let's speak and let's trust in God. Let's have such a high, like, biblical view of who he is that we don't get ensnared in the ground-level traps of the fear of man. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we don't just sing songs like I need thee because they're good melodies. Uh, the lyrics matter because they reflect biblical truths and I pray they would reflect the posture of our hearts. God, that we know that we need you. And I would guess for all of us there is a measure of the fear of man in our hearts that, that, you, that we need your help to deal with that needs to be rooted out. 
We need to have a higher, more biblical view of you. We need to trust in you more. I feel relatively certain all of us need to grow in that respect this morning. God, would you help us to find safety where it can be found? That we be the ones who run into you, to your name, the God who is a strong tower. And for everyone who runs to you, that we find the safety that is ultimately elusive for us when we try to find it in relationships. Would you help our relationships as a church family be healthy? Every family represented here, every single represented here in the various relationships that they have, would you help us be a gospel influence in the context of those relationships? That Christ would be seen in us. That grace would, would abound through us. And that we'd have victory over the the residual sin that we still hold on to. And I pray that you'd release us from a fear that keeps us from being vulnerable and transparent, that causes us to make the approval of others an idol in our lives. Loosen us from those things, I pray. Humble us before your word. Convict us through the truth that we might live more completely for you. God, we love you. We thank you that when we trust in you, there is safety. What a promise in a world that offers so much insecurity. When we trust in you, there's safety. Thank you that you're safe, that you're good, that we find shelter in you and comfort in you and strength in you when we need it. Praise be to you, O oh God. And we need it, God, more than we acknowledge. Help us to find rest and comfort and safety in you. When we're weary, all the more help us to run to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll sing one last song.